From DeCamilla Capital Management in Sacramento, California, this is What's Cooking on Wall Street with your hosts, Dave DeCamilla and Ty Rickman. All right, welcome everybody. This is Ty here with Dave here on a beautiful summer Sacramento day. How you doing, Dave? Great, Ty. It's uh, two days before the solstice and it's just gorgeous. Um, perfect day in June here in Sacramento. Yeah, it should get up in the mid-90s today. Those kind of days that the Bay Area folks find a little too warm. They're used to their 57-degree highs in the summertime. Yeah. They can't wear a sweater in the summertime. They feel like it's too hot, but that's okay with us. We'll, uh, we, we, we enjoy it. We enjoy the heat. We like the heat. Yeah, that's Let's right. Say that. All right. So we've done some talking around the office the last, I don't know, a few months, and it seemed like a good idea to bring it to the podcast about the race to the bottom with fees and it seems that you're seeing commercials every day about lower fees, lower costs, and do lower costs really bring value to investors? It's very convenient to talk about fees. It's a one number construct, but it's compared to what? If you need a triple bypass surgery, do you really want the lowest cost heart surgeon? There's a lot more that goes into decision-making in the allocation of capital than just fees. Fees are clearly an element of the decision, but what's happened is they become the fulcrum and the lever for all of this, and I think it's probably in many instances a mistake. Many times people are paying up for marginal service, and other times they're paying very little but they're not getting anything either. We try to say, you set the price, we'll set the grade. Meaning, as consumers, we can set the kind of quality we want or we can set the price we want to pay. It's rare that you'll be able to dictate both price and quality in a relationship. Mm -hmm. We look at fees from, again, the the notion of capital allocation, and it's the efficient use of capital versus the effective use of capital. You can be very efficient putting capital to work. There's tons of pension funds that were very efficient putting capital to work, looking for low-cost money managers. The average defined benefit plan in this country in the public sector is grossly underfunded. So they were on the fee thing. And then you can have effective capital allocation, which gets it all done, and it may cost a little more, but it's effective. One ultimately wants efficient and effective in the same process. It's a long answer to a short question, but fees are not all that goes into uh, running money and managing your capital. It's one element of it, obviously. Right, but it shouldn't be the one deciding factor. Absolutely not. I think it's, what are you getting for it? And one of the problems is, and God bless him, he's passed on, may he rest in peace, John Bogle convinced everybody that low cost is the way to go and the Vanguard index and all that. There's no question that those are very, very efficient and very, very effective doing an S&P 500 through a payroll deduction every day for 25 years or every pay period for 25 years. That'll work. It's very effective. It's very efficient. Unfortunately, at the end of the line, you have this huge amount of capital. And is that the best thing to be doing? You have enough capital to become what we call a wholesale investor, a wholesale buyer. You can customize your own portfolio. In most instances, get much better outcomes, especially in bad markets. The last thing you want is in a bad market to be on a bus, if you will, getting taken to a place you may not want to be going. Right. And just go back to what we do here. The customization also leads to transparency. 
Which yes. costs money. Which costs money. That's reporting, if you will. Right, right. But actually under, understanding the assets you own, mm-hmm. as opposed to, I'm in a fund, I'm in an index, who knows what's in it. I actually own Disney. I own Verizon. I own Johnson & Johnson. I own these companies, many of which are paying me a dividend, and I understand where that cash flow is coming from. That's right. And a customized portfolio is a much more effective and efficient way to put capital to work. One way to look at it is we're actually creating a fund tailor-made for the individual client. That's absolutely right. Now, we understand our income is our client's expense. So we're not looking to incur excess costs or fees or anything of that nature. But there is a cost to reporting, as you point out, transparency. How am I doing? Well, Bogle was able to convince everybody that just calling a 1-800 number and talking to somebody on an 800 line is as good as talking to somebody who's been in the business for almost 40 years. So there's a cost associated with that. There's a conflict of interest. What is the cost of unbiased advice? Right. And in earlier podcasts, we've discussed what being a fiduciary means and the importance of that. But just to recap, uh, fiduciary works in their client's best interests not in their own. And where that could come into play is if the advisor is receiving commissions from banks or investment companies to put their clients in products created by said banks, Right. then they could be working in their own best interest as opposed to their clients and maybe not make the best decision possible on behalf of their client. So I think that's a good transition into if someone is out there looking for an investment advisor, what questions should they ask besides just the fee? Well, the first one, just to go back, are they a fiduciary? In other words, do they accept commissions? Some outfits will claim that they're fiduciaries, but they're actually not because they get commissions as well as doing fee-based advice. Uh, Secondly, one of the, I think the hallmarks or the essentials of uh, ascertaining what type of business or what type of approach a given advisor does is Asked to see his top 10 equity holdings. Mm-hmm. What are the positions that his clients as a group hold in general? There should be some coherence, some notion of uh, the capital markets and his view of the world, and that should be reflected in the positions that he puts his clients into. How are the fees calculated? Well, are they calculated on a assets under management? Are they transaction-based on commissions or fees and so forth? Or you don't know and it's paid like in the insurance industry, you never see a commission. It's all built in and there's usually high loads in these non-transparent products Mm -hmm. where they guarantee you. Actually, it's a contract. It's not even an investment. They just guarantee you a certain return and they keep all the excess. Well, what's that? It's not an investment. It's just basically an agreement with a third party to pay you an amount of money every month. So... We kind of think that the organic process of running money, managing money, providing clients with leadership, and sometimes kicking them in the butt and saying, hey, you got too much money that's uh, lazy, it's not working, it's in the bank, it's not doing anything. They need to be challenged and you know, active. active. Or in any other instances, we tone people down. Typically in a portfolio, a position may be doing very well. Clients often say, gee, we need to own more of that. No, you don't. Really, it has to be just part of a position. And that's where a professional comes in and keeping a steady hand on the tiller in a terrible market in 08 and 09, keeping our clients in the saddle. 
It's hard to put a price on that. Right. And that's, again, all things that someone should look at when they're shopping for investment advisors. It's not just the cost. It's actually what you're getting with that cost. Right. What am I paying for? One of the other things that I often hear is, and it is true, and it, but it makes no sense, is that, oh, the person is very nice. Well, I have to tell you, in my experience, I'd rather have somebody that makes me cry and is effective than someone who tells me what I want to hear all the time mm-hmm. and everything's great. That's what happened in 08 and 09, where Wall Street basically almost put the whole country in the tank, foisting in toxic mortgage-backed securities into pension funds and endowments and everything else. So to, to get back, what is the fee getting me? Hopefully you're, you're getting an unbiased, factual, based on experience, a decision on to how to best allocate your capital. And what is that worth? Well, that depends on what you're willing to pay for it. As I say, again, people get into trouble when they're looking for high-value advice and not paying a lot for it. I think it's also important to think not just in terms of the short term, but the long term. Are you willing to cut some corners now if it means that you're not going to end up where you want to be when it comes time to retire 15, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. That's a good point. My friend Art Maurer, I worked with him and he was kind of a mentor to me, said as a great analogy or a metaphor, you and your client are in a boat and you're rowing together. And if the client is not willing to commit capital over a long period of time and stay with it, he's not going to be successful. You can provide the leadership and row and do your best, but if the client is not willing to commit the time and the emotional commitment to building capital, he's, it's not going to work. Right. And to, to clarify, at Decamilla Capital, uh, our fees are charged as a percentage of assets under right. management. Exactly. So in a sense, we eat off the same plate as our clients. Absolutely. So the better our clients do, the better we do. We're joined at the hip. Yep. We're rowing together, to use Art's, yeah. Art's metaphor. Right. Well, as oh, we discussed... Oh, yeah, we have the recipe. Well, so... Uh, as we discussed, it's hot, it's hot outside. Uh, now the nice thing about Sacramento, you're going to see, if you look at Sacramento weather, oh, it's 102 degrees, 104 degrees. Well, the secret we don't tell anybody is that it's only that for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours out of the day. And right around 7:30, the heat breaks a little bit. It'll get down into the the 80s, high 80s. The cool Delta breeze comes, cools things down. And uh, as you said, we're near the summer solstice, so the days are super long. Our sunset here is well after 8.30. So there's lots of time to sit on your back porch, enjoy that warm evening with that cool breeze. And how can I maximize that enjoyment? Well, as it turns out, my daughter's coming home. Uh, she teaches in the Bay Area. She's coming home tonight. We're going to have an alfresco dinner. And part of that, she loves my Italian or we'll call it Mediterranean potato salad. And as a kid growing up, uh, and I'm going to make that tonight, as a kid growing up, I always thought potato salad never had mayonnaise in it because that's the way my grandmother, who was an Italian immigrant, made it. So what we're going to do, this is a perfect potato salad for a trip. Uh, You're going picnicking because it's got no mayonnaise in it. If you make it in one of those crusade things, it'll stay cold. It's really quite good. So it's really easy. You only need half a dozen ingredients. And it starts with five five or six good-sized potatoes, russets, Yukon Golds. I used russets this morning because that's what we had. 
Don't overcook them. While they're boiling, you probably cut them in half. They boil, cook a little quicker. While you're cooking them, uh, chop up sorted herbs if you have. Definitely parsley. If you have some mint, you can use dried or fresh. It's one garlic clove, uh, parsley, rosemary, and chop it all together. But just in a more is better. You can't. You really can't have enough. A mince a medium uh, red onion. So when your potatoes are done, you run them under cold water. You, again, you don't want to overcook them. You fold in your herbs, salt and pepper, and then the dressing. It's basically olive oil and red wine vinegar. And that's that's basically mm. all, all you really needed. When people say, well, how much? Well, if the potatoes are still kind of lukewarm, the oil and the vinegar will absorb. So use maybe a third of a cup of the oil and a quarter of a cup of uh, vinegar. You may need more as, as it comes out of the fridge later. You can also add some Kalamata olives there if you chop them up or black ripe olives, rinse them and chop them up and add them to the salad. That's a, kind of an optional thing. Fold it all together, chill it. It should look like all with all this green in it, it's really terrific. It, mm. uh, there's parsley, all fresh ingredients. You can even use some dried chives if you have that. Uh, thyme, whatever seasonal uh, herbs you have, fold it all in with the olive oil. It's terrific. Great. And well, that sounds good. That's your potato salad. Something nice and cool on those uh, warm summer Sacramento nights. All right, Dave. Well, All thanks. Right. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.